Being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help, I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to his will for Christ's sake. Welcome to the Bud Zone Podcast. I'm Bud, your host. The Bud Zone Podcast is for, from, and by saints, our buds in the faith, to edify one another in the faith and to encourage one another to love and good works. We discuss the world, we discuss the church, we discuss the faith, we discuss truth, and we do it with the mind of Christ. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to 2022. And welcome to this first episode of the Bud Zone podcast for this new year. Today, I will not be joined by a special guest, a Bud in the Faith, like we normally have. Today, however, because it is the first week of the year, I want to read essentially an article that I had written on Striving for Eternity that deals with the issue of Christian resolutions. So, I will link to the uh, article that I'm reading. And you can go check it out for yourself if you'd like. But I'm going to read this. Uh, Hopefully, it'll be thoughtful, uh, encouraging, and uh, help you if you are one who is prone to make resolutions. In 1971, on a debut album titled, I Don't Know How to Love Him, Australian pop vocalist Helen Reddy wailed a tune that would become the anthem of the feminist movement. The opening words of her song were, I am woman, hear me roar. I am woman would become a chart topper and garner her a Grammy Award for Best Pop Vocal Performer. Across the globe, the song would energize those engaged in celebrating and pursuing female empowerment. Even today, some 51 years later, the song continues to enjoy occasional references in films, television, and pop culture. Indeed, in our culture, given over as it is to identity politics, critical theory, intersectionality, I am woman could easily and boisterously be bellowed as an anarchic chant against gender victimization for greater half of the population who are, oddly enough, considered a minority. As we approach that time of year when millions will engage in the annually expected rite of resolution-making, Helen Reddy's song could, for that majority-minority and for others, serve as a paradigm from which self-expressing and self-lauding resolutions ought to issue forth. What I am and what I want are, for most people, the guiding principles of popularly promoted, culturally common, and socially applauded resolutions. Resolutions are invariably about self. When Christians ponder the idea of making resolutions, we ought to recognize that our resolutions aren't to be as those that the world would make. We are not to be conformed to the world, according to Romans 12, too. We are not to love the world nor the things in the world, according to 1 John 2.15. The world will be busy making self-endorsed, self-focused vows that most will fail to see persist through the first month of the year. Whether it's losing weight, saving money, quitting a bad habit, picking up a new habit, or just living life to the fullest, most resolutions require very little time for failure. 
the world's infidelity to its own resolutions, regardless of how noble they may be, is inconsequential to the Christian who has been made complete in Christ, according to Colossians 2.10. In our Lord, who has overcome the world, from John 16.33, we are made more than conquerors, according to Romans 8.37. Our resolutions are thus to have an eternal and certain perspective. Like I am woman, the world's resolutions are almost entirely focused on self, self-improvement, self-achievement, self-gratification, self-discovery, self-sufficiency. All are categories into which most resolutions may neatly fit. I resolve to is invariably be driven by the all-consequential I. And sadly, this is often the repeated pattern of resolution making by well-meaning Christians. But to the extent that the world is permitted to define what it means to be resolved, the Christian has willfully, if not knowingly, given themselves over to a different master. Read Matthew 6.24. The resolution that is aimed purely at self-fulfillment is in direct contradiction to the gospel command to deny self, Luke 9.23. To rightly consider resolutions, Christians are to turn to Scripture, which, coincidentally, does not expressly command us to engage in such a behavior. Yet, though Scripture neither expressly forbids or endorses resolution-making, Scripture does give us God's pattern for our life, which, when obeyed faithfully, pursued relentlessly, and submitted to humbly, yields His promised blessing. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. John 10.10. Christians are to be constantly in an examine-yourself mode, 2 Corinthians 13.5, that we may increasingly honor Christ, 1 Corinthians 10.31. We should honor him in our living and be continually conformed to his image, according to Romans 8.29 and 30 and Romans 12.1 and 2. Our resolutions are not merely the product of an annual assessment, but are the daily result of focusing on Christ in his word. Colossians 3.16. He is our daily bread, John 6.35. He is our living water, according to John 4.14. At this time of year, though, many Christians will turn to the resolution-making example we have in the 18th century theologian and pastor, Jonathan Edwards. His famous 70 resolutions were formulated at the beginning of the winter of 1722, and they were completed in the summer of the following year. Edwards was merely 19 years old when he penned his 70 resolutions. Those resolutions cover the gamut from outlining his overall life goals, his desire for good works, and his relationship with others. Edwards resolves on such matters as the wise usage of his time, of the place of suffering, and his response to it in his life. His resolutions deal with his character and integrity, his pursuit of righteous living, the mortification of sin, and the tenor of his personal language habits. Edwards emphasizes the importance of his spiritual life with his resolutions speaking to the scriptures, to prayer, to the Sabbath, to communion with God. He puts a premium on divine truth and anticipates his eternal reward. But what is often missed by focusing on the content of this Christ-devoted young man's resolutions is the preface which he penned to them. It is Edwards' preface to the resolutions that provide the fullest context to their value. 
Stephen Nichols, president of the Reformation Bible College and a Ligonier Ministries teaching fellow, has said this, quote, Cutting the resolutions off from the foundation of the preface leads to seeing them as the stuff of personal grit and determination to better oneself. That's not only a mistaken reading, but it's also a tragic one. The self-made person is a modern ideal, not a biblical one, end quote. The preface to Edwards' resolutions reads as follows, quote, Being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help, I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to his will for Christ's sake. Being sensible was, for Edwards, clearly the result of his biblically apprehended understanding of the sovereignty of God. As the only son of 11 children to his pastor father, Jonathan wrote that the Calvinistic view of God's sovereignty in which he was raised, quote, used to appear like a horrible doctrine to me, end quote. But he wrote that from meditating on Paul's glorious doxology in 1 Timothy 1.17, he said, quote, as I read the words, there came into my soul and was, as it was diffused through it, a sense of the glory of the divine being, a new sense, quite different from anything I had ever experienced before. I thought with myself how excellent a being that was and how happy I should be if I might enjoy that God and be wrapped up to him in heaven and be, as it was, swallowed up in him forever." This spirit-illumined moment, which Edwards points to as the moment of his conversion, came in 1721, a year before he would engage in formulating his resolutions. Edwards' preface of biblical sensibility in light of God's sovereignty emphasizes his recognized need for God's aid and grace in undertaking his resolved initiatives, and he humbly, prayerfully entreats God's favor to accomplish them. Edwards does not posit his resolutions as etched in stone, but duly submits them before God, quote, so far as they are agreeable to his will, end quote. The purpose of his resolutions, while hopefully being reflected in his character, his conduct, and his tongue, was not for the elevation of self, but, as he concludes his preface, for Christ's sake. The resolutions of Jonathan Edwards took the better part of a year for him to complete, They were not the product of last-minute, year-end reflection. Edwards sought, as a 19-year-old, to thoughtfully, biblically define what a life of faithfulness under the hand of a sovereign God for Christ's sake ought to look like. His endeavor resulted in what may be seen as a Christ-centered exposition of resolutions that firmly reflects our Lord's own gospel command in Luke 9.23, Quote, and he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Though there are 70 resolutions from Edwards, they are infused with a Christ-like attitude of self-denial and intended to produce a life that was rich in the gracious fruit of his spirit. When Christians consider resolutions, however, there is a further and biblical example beyond even the godly desires outlined by Edwards. Scripture gives us the pithy words of a Christ-appointed apostle who tells us from 1 Corinthians 11, 1, be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. The apostle Paul succinctly gives us what could be his singular resolution in his epistle to the Philippians. 
For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Philippians 1.21. Commenting on these words of Paul, John MacArthur writes, quote, The apostle's very being was wrapped up in his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He trusted, loved, served, witnessed for, and in every way was devoted to and dependent on him. His only hope, his only purpose, his only reason to live was Christ. He traveled for Christ, preached for Christ, was persecuted and imprisoned for Christ. Ultimately, he would die for Christ. But even death, by God's marvelous grace, was ultimately for Paul's eternal gain, end quote. This all-encompassing preeminence of Christ in the life of Paul was repeated in his letter to the churches of Galatia, where he wrote, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me, Galatians 2.20. That this Pauline reality of Christ is all was not Merely to be an attribute exclusive to him as an apostle is evident from his exhortation to the Colossians. Quote, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Colossians 3, 3-5. Helen Reddy's song, I Am Woman, reflects the perpetually popular ideology and idolatry of self that is exemplary of our fallen world. And this idolatry is increasingly evident even in the visible church as it seeks to accommodate, emphasize, and elevate self in all its various iterations. But Scripture gives us a different sort of I am woman account that is brief, simple, and yet illustrates the godly response of one woman whose life had been changed by the Savior. In the course of his gospel narrative, Matthew records a miracle performed by the Lord early in his ministry that might easily be missed. By the time this miracle occurs, our Lord had, of course, initiated his public ministry at his baptism. He had been tempted by Satan for 40 days in the wilderness. He had preached his astounding Sermon on the Mount. Matthew records that Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people, Matthew 5.23. Coming down from the mount, Matthew records, Jesus healed a contrite leper and, when he entered Capernaum, encountered the centurion with a sick slave. Before speaking the word which would remotely heal the centurion's servant, the Lord astonishingly remarks of this Roman that, quote, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel, Matthew 8.10. But it is the third specified miracle of Christ in Matthew's timeline, which is simple yet profoundly contrary to the anthems of self currently playing in the culture and within the culture accommodating church. It is this account that speaks directly to the rightful orientation of a Christ follower's resolution. Matthew eight fourteen and 15 says this, When Jesus came into Peter's home, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick in bed with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she got up and waited on him. Sometime around 29 AD, Jesus heals the mother-in-law of Peter. 
The details of her fever are absent from the text, though it must be presumed to have been of such severity that she was incapacitated from extending the hospitality expected and due among faithful Jews. Only two verses are given by Matthew of this miracle. The event is also recorded by Mark and Luke, each of whom likewise give it brief coverage in their narratives. The most pronounced distinction among the three accounts is given by Matthew. Upon her healing, where Mark and Luke report that this unnamed beneficiary of the Lord's grace got up and, quote, served them, Matthew makes the point that she got up and waited on him, Matthew 8.15. MacArthur notes, quote, Matthew emphasizes her special ministry to Jesus, and that while this woman certainly extended courteous hospitality to everyone present, we can be sure, he says, she served her gracious Lord with special attention and care. This unadorned, brief historical record of the miracle granted by the Lord to the unnamed and unquoted mother-in-law of the Apostle Peter is utterly contrary to the spirit of our age. In this day, in our day, this woman would surely be named. Her picture would be promoted on every Christian website. She would be ubiquitously featured in memes accompanied by some catchy Christian cliche that captures clicks and captivates the naive. She would have book deals and endorsement opportunities galore. She'd be a target speaker for conferences eager to leverage her fame with Jesus into culturally relevant points scored. Simply put, she would be the latest, greatest evangelical celebrity. But what actually happened, according to the Word of God, is this, quote, she got up and waited on him. Though unnamed, unquoted, sparsely mentioned, this woman would find herself included in the inspired and eternal text of God's inscripturated Word precisely because she was not the focus. The Lord was. Helen Reddy may have bellowed, I am woman, and been ironically incapable of understanding why I don't know how to love him, as her titled album proclaimed of some unidentified hymn. But the mother-in-law of Peter had no such quandary when it came to Christ. She knew how to love, obey, and serve him, for he had first loved her. When approaching resolutions, Christians must eschew culturally anointed self-focus and rather exalt Christ as Peter's mother-in-law did. Consider these words from an older Jonathan Edwards writing on the topic of Christian knowledge and the Christian's main work. Here's what Edwards wrote years later after having penned his resolutions. Quote, If it concerns men to excel in anything— or in any wisdom or knowledge at all, it certainly concerns them to excel in the affairs of their main profession and work. But the calling and work of every Christian is to live to God. This is said to be his high calling, Philippians 3.14. This is the business, and if I may so speak, the trade of a Christian, his main work, and indeed should be his only work. No business should be done by a Christian, but as it is in some way or other part of this. Therefore, certainly the Christian should endeavor to be well acquainted with those things which belong to this work, that he may fulfill it and be thoroughly furnished to it. Edwards continues, It becomes one who is called a soldier to excel at the art of war. It becomes a mariner to excel in the, in the art of navigation. It becomes a physician to excel in the knowledge of those things which pertain to the art of the physic. 
so it becomes all such as profess to be Christians and to devote themselves to the practice of Christianity to endeavor to excel in the knowledge of divinity. At the beginning of this new year, as we worship, as we live, let us remember the prayed words of our Lord that ground our very salvation in his divine knowledge. John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. May our perpetual resolve be that of the Apostle Paul, to live as Christ. May an unnamed woman, graced by our Lord, be an example. Let us serve him. May we glean wisdom from the youthful Edwards, whose resolutions are framed by the will of a sovereign God, focused on living for Christ's sake. May our worshipful daily resolution reflect that Christ-glorifying, self-denying utterance of John the Baptist. He must increase, I must decrease, John 3.30. Then, with Paul, may we proclaim with praise, now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. From 1 Timothy 1.17. Now, here are the resolutions of Jonathan Edwards. Being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help, I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to his will for Christ's sake. Remember to read over these resolutions once a week. Number one, resolved that I will do whatsoever I think to be most to God's glory and my own good, profit, and pleasure in the whole of my duration without any consideration of the time, whether now or never so many myriads of ages hence. Resolved to do whatever I think to be my duty and most for the good and advantage of mankind in general. Resolved to do this, whatever difficulties I meet with, how many and how great soever. Two, resolved to be continually endeavoring to find out some new invention and contrivance to promote the aforementioned things. Three, resolved if I ever shall fall and grow dull so as to neglect to keep any part of these resolutions to repent of all I can remember when I come to myself again. Four, resolved never to do any manner of thing, whether in soul, body, less or more, but what tends to the glory of God, nor be, nor suffer it, if I can avoid it. 5. Resolved, never to lose one moment of time, but improve it the most profitable way I possibly can. 6. To live with all my might while I do live. 7. Resolved, never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. 8. Resolved to act in all respects, both speaking and doing, as if nobody had been so vile as I, and as if I had committed the same sins or had the same infirmities or failings as others, and that I will let the knowledge of their failings promote nothing but shame in myself and prove only an occasion of confessing my own sins and misery to God. 9. Resolved to think much on all occasions of my own dying and of the common circumstances which attend death. 10. Resolved when I feel pain to think of the pains of martyrdom and hell. 11. Resolved when I think of any theorem and divinity to be solved immediately to do what I can towards solving it if circumstances don't hinder. 12. 
resolved, if I take delight in it as gratification of pride or vanity or on any such account, immediately to throw it by. 13. Resolved, to be endeavoring to find out fit objects of charity and liberality. 14. Resolved, never to do anything out of revenge. 15. Resolved, never to suffer the least emotions of anger to irrational beings. 16. Resolved, never to speak evil of anyone so that it shall tend to his dishonor more or less upon no account except for some real good. 17. Resolved, that I will live so as I shall wish I had done when I come to die. 18. Resolved, to live so at all times as I think is best in my devout frames and when I have clearest notions of things of the gospel and another world. 19. Resolved, never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if I expected it would not be above an hour before I should hear the last trump. 20. Resolved, to maintain the strictest temperance in eating and drinking. 21. Resolved, never to do anything which if I should see in another I should count just an occasion to despise him for or to think any way the more meanly of him. 22. Resolved to endeavor to obtain for myself as much happiness in the other world as I possibly can with all the power, might, vigor, and vehemence, yea, violence I am capable of or can bring myself to exert in any way that can be thought of. 23. Resolved frequently to take some deliberate action which seems most unlikely to be done for the glory of God and trace it back to the original intention, designs, and ends of it. And if I find it not to be for the glory of God, to repute it as a breach of the fourth resolution. 24. Resolved, whenever I do any conspicuously evil action, to trace it back till I come to the original cause, and then both carefully endeavor to do so no more, and to fight and pray with all my might against the original of it. 25. Resolved to examine carefully and constantly what that one thing is in me which causes me in the least to doubt the love of God and to direct all my forces against it. 26. Resolved to cast away such things as I find do abate my assurance. 27. Resolved never willfully to omit anything except the omission be for the glory of God and frequently to examine my omissions. 28. Resolved to study the scriptures so steadily, constantly, and frequently as that I may find and plainly perceive myself to grow in the knowledge of the same. 29. Resolved never to count that a prayer, nor to let that pass as a prayer, nor that as a petition of a prayer, which is so made that I cannot hope that God will answer it, nor that as a confession, which I cannot hope God will accept. 30. Resolved to strive to my utmost every week to be brought higher in religion and to a higher exercise of grace than I was the week before. 31. Resolved never to say anything at all against anybody, but when it is perfectly agreeable to the highest degree of Christian honor and love to mankind, agreeable to the lowest humility and sense of my own faults and failings, and agreeable to the golden rule. Often when I have said anything against anyone, to bring it to and try it strictly by the test of this resolution. 32. Resolved to be strictly and firmly faithful to my trust, that in Proverbs 20, verse 6, a faithful man who can find may not be partly fulfilled in me. 
33. Resolved always to do what I can towards making, maintaining, establishing, and preserving peace when it can be without overbalancing detriment in other respects. 34. Resolved in narrations never to speak anything but the pure and simple verity. 35. Resolved whenever I so much question whether I have done my duty as that my quiet and calm is thereby disturbed to set it down and also how the question was resolved. 36. Resolved never to speak evil of any except I have some particular good call for it. 37. Resolved to inquire every night as I am going to bed wherein I have been negligent, what sin I have committed, and wherein I have denied myself. Also at the end of every week, month, and year. 38. Resolved never to speak anything that is ridiculous, sportive, or matter of laughter on the Lord's day. 39. Resolved never to do anything that I so much question the lawfulness of as that I intend at the same time to consider and examine afterward whether it be lawful or no, except I as much question the lawfulness of the omission. 40. Resolved to inquire every night before I go to bed whether I have acted in the best way I possibly could with respect to eating and drinking. 41. Resolved to ask myself at the end of every day, week, month, and year, wherein I could possibly in any respect have done better. 42. Resolved frequently to renew the dedication of myself to God, which was made at my baptism, which I solemnly renewed when I was received into the communion of the church, and which I have solemnly remade this 12th day of January, 1722. 43. Resolved. Never henceforward till I die to act as if I were any way my own, but entirely and altogether God's, agreeable to what is to be found. 44. Resolved that no other end but religion shall have any influence at all on any of my actions, and that no action shall be in the least circumstance any otherwise than the religious end will carry it. 45. Resolved never to allow any pleasure or grief, joy or sorrow, nor affection at all, nor any degree of affection, nor any circumstance relating to it, but what helps religion. 46. Resolved never to allow the least measure of any fretting uneasiness at my father or mother. Resolved to suffer no effects of it, so much as in the least alteration of my speech or motion of my eve, and to be especially careful of it with respect to any of our family. 47. Resolved to endeavor to my utmost to deny whatever is not most agreeable to a good and universally sweet and benevolent, quiet, peaceable, contented, easy, compassionate, generous, humble, meek, modest, submissive, obliging, diligent, and industrious, charitable, even patient, moderate, forgiving, sincere temper, and to do at all times what such a temper would lead me to. Examine strictly every week whether I have done so. 48. Resolved constantly with the utmost niceness and diligence and the strictest scrutiny to be looking into the state of my soul that I may know whether I truly have an interest in Christ or no, and that when I come to die I may not have any negligence respecting this to repent of. 49. Resolved that this never shall be if I can help it. 50. Resolved. I will act so as I think I shall judge would have been best and most prudent when I come into the future world. 51. Resolved. 
that I will act so in every respect as I think I shall wish I had done if I should at last be damned. 52. I frequently hear persons in old age say how they would live if they were to live their lives over again. Resolved that I will live just so as I think I shall wish I had done supposing I live to an old age. 53. Resolve to improve every opportunity when I am in the best and happiest frame of mind to cast and venture my soul on the Lord Jesus Christ, to trust and confide in him and consecrate myself wholly to him, that from this I may have assurance of my safety, knowing that I confide in my Redeemer. 54. Whenever I hear anything spoken in conversation of any person, if I think it would be praiseworthy in me, resolve to endeavor to imitate it. 55. Resolve to endeavor to my utmost to act as I think I should do if I had already seen the happiness of heaven and hell torments. 56. Resolve never to give over nor in the least to slacken my fight with my corruptions, however unsuccessful I may be. 57. Resolved when I fear misfortunes and adversities to examine whether I have done my duty and resolve to do it and let it be just as providence orders it. I will, as far as I can, be concerned about nothing but my duty and my sin. 58. Resolve not only to refrain from an air of dislike, fretfulness, and anger in conversation, but to exhibit an air of love, cheerfulness, and benignity. 59. Resolved when I am most conscious of provocations to ill nature and anger, that I will strive most to feel and act good-naturedly, yea, at such times to manifest good behavior, though I think that in other respects it would be disadvantageous, and so as would be imprudent at other times. 60. Resolved, whenever my feelings begin to appear in the least out of order, when I am conscious of the least uneasiness within, or the least irregularity without, I will then subject myself to the strictest examination. 61. Resolved, that I will not give way to that listlessness which I find unbends and relaxes my mind from being fully and fixedly set on religion, whatever excuse I may have for it, that what my listlessness inclines me to do is best to be done. 62. Resolved, never to do anything but duty, and then, according to Ephesians 6, 6 6-8, do it willingly and cheerfully as unto the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good thing any man doeth, the same he shall receive of the Lord. 63. On the supposition that there never was to be but one individual in the world, at any one time, who was properly a complete Christian in all respects of a right stamp, having Christianity always shining in its true luster and appearing excellent and lovely from whatever part and under whatever character viewed, resolved to act just as I would do if I strove with all my might to be that one who should live in my time. 64. Resolved, when I find those groanings which cannot be uttered, Romans 8.26, of which the apostle speaks, and those breakings of soul for the longing it hath, of which the psalmist speaks, Psalm 119.20, that I will promote them to the utmost of my power, and that I will not be weary of earnestly endeavoring to vent my desires, nor of the repetitions of such earnestness. 65. Resolved, very much to exercise myself in this all my life, with the greatest openness I am capable of, to declare my ways to God and lay open my soul to him, 
all my sins, temptations, difficulties, sorrows, fears, hopes, desires, and everything and every circumstance, according to Dr. Manton's 27th sermon on Psalm 119. 66. Resolved that I will endeavor always to keep a benign aspect and an air of acting and speaking in all places and in all companies, except it should so happen that duty requires otherwise. 67. Resolved, after afflictions, to inquire what I am the better for them, what good I have got by them, and what I might have got by them. 68. Resolved, to confess frankly to myself all that which I find in myself, either infirmity or sin, and, if it be what concerns religion, also to confess the whole case to God and implore needed help. 69. Resolved, always to do that which I wish I had done when I see others do it. 70. Let there be something of benevolence in all that I speak. And that concludes this episode of The Bud Zone. The Bud Zone Podcast is a member of the Christian Podcast Community, where you can find scores of biblically sound podcasts for your edification and encouragement. Go to christianpodcastcommunity.org to discover more. You are now leaving the Bud Zone. Thank you for listening. God bless you. And just a reminder, no doctrines have been harmed during the recording of this show.